Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Why am I playing Broadway musicals? Because our next guest, formerly a Broadway actor, now doing an amazing job with the Locked On Network, host of the Saints Locked On podcast, writer, and uh, Saints insider, Ross Jackson, joins us now as we count down closer to the season opener, September 11th. Good morning, Ross. You ever just want to break into song when you hear some of your old tunes there? <laughs> hey, good morning, brother. Look, um, I, I, I don't want to take credit for something that I didn't necessarily do, so I do want to say I was a Broadway stage manager, not a Broadway actor. Um, so, so the answer to your question is that no one wanted me breaking out into song ever. I, I mean, uh, I kind of, I, I did. I mean, I do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I do remember, I do remember some of the cues there in, uh, in, in that, in that, in that piece. So yeah, no, it's, it's still in me somewhere. <laughs> Broadway stage manager. No, but you did, you did do some acting though, right? Or am I off on that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I did back in uh, college and everything, you know, when you get started in theater, when you usually get started there, it's because you know, you want to act, you know, and you want to be out there and stuff. But I didn't do terribly there. It's just that um, I, I found stage management and just fell in love with it and went that route instead. And then you uh, went the sports media route. Uh, and you've yeah. been, you know, it's it's grown quickly for you. And, you know, I'd say that regardless of where you go, the job you do makes a lot of difference. Clearly, if you're good at it, people will follow and read the content. But um, do you feel like it's... <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Mm-hmm. Covering the Saints, right? Is it a little different, a little more personal when you think of the fan base hearing Dennis Allen talk about Katrina and how he wasn't here, but he arrived six months later and the most emotional game ever was the dome coming game. And, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't even really need to expound on it a ton, but you saw him start to get emotional. I remember being there that night, just the idea that it's it's more than just football. Um, if you're working your tail off doing all the same things you're doing, but it's locked on, let's just not name a team, but maybe one that's eh, not as close to their fan base as the Saints. Does it uh, does it slap the same? Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. You know, I, I talk a lot on my show about how you know the connection between a New Orleans Saints organization and the city of New Orleans is unique. It's one of the most one of the most unique and. I'll say one of the most the strongest connections between team and fan base in sports, not even just the NFL in sports. So you know, if we say like, you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll pick on my friend Jeff Carr and say you know, locked on Reds in Cincinnati's not having that same kind of conversation. You know what I mean? And so I think that you know it, it is unique, it is specific, and you know I think that the the other piece of it too is that personally for me, I mean you know I survived Hurricane Katrina myself. And everything, and I, I went through that. I've I've gone through many of the things that this fan base has gone through. I didn't get the chance to return to the dome coming game because there was no home for me to return to, and everything. And so, you know, but I did get to watch it on television. I did get to enjoy, you know, that victory. I did get to enjoy that rebirth. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that you know, the, one of the reasons why I, you know, dropped everything uh, when it came to that previous career and came to this is because I got the specific uh, opportunity to cover this team, this organization, this city. And that was a big part of my choice to, you know, completely, you know, 180 my trajectory in terms of my uh, my career. And so, yeah, it is unique. It is specific. And, and if you ask me, it's special. It may, it, 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 
it created something different that that moment in time. Like I, you know, my mother grew up a Saints fan. A lot of my family, she grew down, grew up down the street from Tulane Stadium. Had an uncle that worked mm-hmm. the game, selling beer. You know, we went to Saints games when I was a kid. Jim Mora, and then the god awful Ditka era, and then of course Haslett and. There, look, there were there were hardcore Saints fans, obviously, and it meant something, and it was special. But when you know, seventeen years ago, when everything was unfolding, uh, and I remember I had just started working here. I'd been living in New Orleans, mm-hmm. just started working here, and haven't asked the question on the air. You know, if the Saints played their last game in New Orleans, and it was a fair question at the time. And mm-hmm. with with Tom Benson, you know. <laughs> Tom Benson uh, pre-06 is is viewed differently by Saints fans post-06. Guys, trust me, yeah. he was he was not celebrated. He was not a, uh, a a person that the fan base liked at all. He was wine and dining in you know a suite uh, with the, the 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 mayor of San Antonio and thinking of moving the mm-hmm. team and wanting to move the team and taking out a full page ad writing about how. You know, it's a business, and, and things, decisions have to be made. And then Paul Tagliabue was like, yeah, you ain't believe You're not moving. You're not, you're not going to get approval. You're not moving the team right now. And, you know, to Tom's credit, whatever, you know, with, maybe perhaps with the push of Tagliabue, he suddenly just kind of went all in, and they revamped the Dome, and they opened it up. But, like, I think, Ross, that fear of losing not just the team, but, like, the essence of, of the city and, and the culture and – you know, I think losing the team meant a lot to folks, you know, here in Lafayette and the surrounding areas. And then, you know, right there in the heart of New Orleans and for anyone that had lived there, it was like also it, it wasn't just the team. It was kind of an all encompassing thing. And so sometimes you just you don't know what you got till it's gone. I, I think it created this stronger bond and it, it, it brought in more fans. But it, it, it made it made it, that connection got much deeper. At that moment in time when they kicked off in 06. And I think uh, the fact that they were good definitely helped in a big way. But it it just, the bond was there pre-Katrina, but it was different. And once it, you know, once they came back for Dome coming and it, it just, it hasn't faded, I guess is where I'm going at. I think the bond yeah. that, that was created at a deeper level at that moment in time has just stayed. And, and that's why. You know, it's it's special, man. It was it was different covering this team pre o five pre o six. I know because I did it. It's it's just been different ever since, and in in a, in a great and very organic way that is impossible, obviously, to recreate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean this this organization went from you know potentially moving its team and reconstructing a fan base in San Antonio to becoming a global brand. I mean, you know, the the idea of New Orleans Saints fans is no longer just about New Orleans. It's global. I mean, the New Orleans Saints are probably the second or third most popular team in the U.K., I would imagine. I mean, they were one of the first teams to go there and win, (laughs) you know. And so uh, I think you look at where this organization has gone since 2006 and even all of the question marks before the 2006 season. Remember, you know, Reggie Bush was supposed to be the savior of the organization, not Drew Brees. There were some people that didn't even want Drew Brees because he was coming off of that, that, um, that you know, injury, and uh, you know, then everything kind of shifted and changed, and then you know, then we got you know, fifteen, sixteen years of Sean Payton, and you know, fourteen, fifteen years of Drew Brees, and 
you know, then all of a sudden everything kind of shifted and then the success came. And so it's, inter- it's, it's, it is, it is a funny thing, right? Like had the team moved, would they have found the same kind of success? Would they have made the same decision or would they, you know, instead of going after these like kind of scrappier guys that they went after, like Drew Brees and Sean Payton, would they have tried to make the bigger name moves that were available that off season instead? And therefore, you know, not found right. the same success, but then would have spent more money spent, you know, more on the, the, the pop and circle circumstance, but then have nothing to show for it at the end of it. Like, it's so interesting the way that everything could have changed because with relocation comes the, you know, the magnifying glass with relocation comes the attention and the new new Orleans was already receiving global attention, but was receiving it in a different way. It was receiving it in a sympathetic way, right? Like look what happened in this community. And whereas going to San Antonio, it would have been I can't believe they moved the team yeah. away from that other community. You know what I mean? And so at that time, like it would have been an entirely different optic and that probably would have led to some, you know, poor decision-making, some overcompensation of trying to make sure that they found success as immediately as possible. And instead they stayed home and then they found success where it mattered. And uh, I think that's another piece of why this place is so special because I can't, I can't imagine walking or driving around new Orleans and not seeing Florida leaves everywhere, not seeing the Saints font all over the place, not seeing, you know, the, the team stores and the memorabilia stores and the history and, and everything like that. I can't imagine this city, which is so rich in its own culture, saying it's a football team. I still can't even imagine it without its football team, everything. So it's, it's, it's a really kind of, you know, in that way, it's an entrenched piece of the culture and way of life here in the city of New Orleans. No doubt. And, um, and, and beyond that into the Gulf South and over here, but in particular in the Mm -hmm. city, because of the connection to, you know, everything that happened and the fear of losing everything. Uh, but here we are. And you mentioned it, Ross Jackson, our guest, you know, the, the way the dominoes felt having to settle for, leftovers so to speak whether it be with Drew Brees or you know Fajita let's 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 maybe pay this guy more on the open market than anyone else is because he has to you know we got to get someone to come here we don't even know if we're ours our, and he ends up being a key piece we could go on and on but throughout that Ross there's always kind of been that that carryover since it happened with Brees and Peyton and now yep. you are full on there is there is there's nobody left from from back then it's 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 a it's a it's a new era um, in a lot of ways, that connection's still there, but it's a new era. And we talked about you know expectations this season and and what to anticipate, but the passion is still there from everybody. And I know they follow you at Ross Jackson Nola. Um, I I was in a sour mood because I just I don't know I'm kind of a a, a Debbie Downer when it comes to the preseason. You know I'm just too worried about injury, and then the pinning thing happened, and and I was on the air yesterday, and you know I had, I had to get calmed down a little bit. But I had concerns about the O line in terms of depth. It was one of my bigger concerns on the team. When you lose your first round pick, who he might not have been starting week one, but but you know he was he's the future there. He needs the reps. All this stuff. You have less depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it? I know that, that there are some concerns at linebacker. I get it, but is O line in terms of question marks the number one question mark on this roster right now as a whole? I would say that it's the number one concern for sure. I mean, the the question part of it is 
is pretty simple, right? James Hurst is going to be your starter at left tackle. He was kind of already in line to be your starter. Landon Young was back at practice yesterday, so it gives you some versatile depth in terms of left and right tackle. But you still need something else. You still need maybe a veteran piece of depth or just another you know player in terms of depth. And so I think that the concern that's there is probably the largest in terms of the other positions. Because the other positions, you're kind of just going, okay, everything's sort of in place at linebacker. You just need to figure out which group you're keeping. Everything's sort of in place at you know wide receiver. You just need to know which group you're keeping. Whereas with with offensive line, you're not really sure just yet what group is being kept, particularly those that have the tackle backup versatility, right? So I think that that, that tackle depth over on that side, on the left side, is really, really important. And I think that it's probably the, the largest outstanding concern um, at this time. But you kind of know what you have to do there, and it's not impossible, especially with roster cuts and more and more teams moving on from more and more high-profile players this season, it feels like. Um, you know, there will be opportunities to, to land, you know, that player and make sure you get somebody that you really like in terms of experience and depth there behind James Hurst, who's dealt with his own injury over the course of this offseason. So all the more reason to load up at the position a little bit. That's, I like how you put it, uh, top concern. If you're going to get a run of really fortunate injury luck, at one positional unit, I think I think that's got to be number one. You know, barring quarterback, which is you know by nature the position right. always number one. But you know, for that quarterback to have a lot of success, you need that old line in place. Uh, I have heard through a source, Ross, that uh, Alvin Kamara is on the fifty-three man roster. Uh, he will not be cut today. Uh, we know, we know, of, we know of the guys that are. Uh, we we know the guys that are safely on the team. Um, give me a couple of bubble guys in your mind. Maybe one that you're like, I think he's going to make it. I'm not sure. I think he's not going to make it. I'm not sure who are, in your opinion, as the Saints have to get down to 53 today. And then, of course, that's today. It could change in a few days based on other teams' roster cuts. But mm-hmm. who are the top bubble guys in your mind that are hoping to uh, not get a phone call today that uh, you know they're being released? Yeah, I think Kirk Merritt is one wide receiver running back and, of course, Destrehan native. Um, I think he's shown you a lot in terms of what he's able to do. And one of the things that Dennis Allen has said sort of repeatedly in a bunch of different ways over the course of training camp is effectively the more that you can do on the team, the more valuable you become. And I can't find a guy that has shown you what more he can do on a team than Kirk Merritt. Um, He was making plays early on in camp at wide receiver, he was making plays early on and throughout camp on special teams. He had the big 59-yard kick return against the Green Bay Packers. Then all of a sudden, you know, the dome practice comes a couple of days after the Packers game, and he's taking snaps at running back. And then he spent that entire week in the running backs room. And I think that's where he really picked up attention is when they moved him over to running back, and everybody kind of went, oh, Ty Montgomery, there's a role for him and everything. But even before that, he was making plays as a wide receiver and would have probably been the star of camp had it not been for you know, huge stories like Michael Thomas's return and Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry showing up in New Orleans and Paul Sinadivo's incredible camp. Like, had it not been for those, you know, Kirk Merritt was probably the maybe the fourth or fifth, you know, biggest story in terms of camp, in terms of, you know, playmaking, right? Kind of like, a, you know, we think of him maybe an Emmanuel Butler who made, you know, these incredible plays during camp but couldn't find a way to put it up um, when it came to special teams and they couldn't find a way to uh, get it going in the preseason games and Kirk Merritt has, you know, been able to do all of that. 
So I think he's probably my bubble guy that I think can make the roster. It, it just depends upon the roster numbers. And it might not be the initial 53-man roster. The Saints might have to carry some guys in the initial 53-man roster that they, ended up, that they end up moving to injured reserve and then maybe going back to the market to add people back to uh, the active roster. So just something to watch there. Um, a guy that I think is a bubble guy that I don't think is going to uh, make the team, at least not the, the initial 53-man roster, is linebacker Nephi Sewell. I don't know if there is an undrafted free agent that makes the roster this year, wow. which is really unusual for the New Orleans Saints. But I'm trying to think about like the guys that came in as UDFAs and you know some of the higher-profile guys like like Nephi Sewell, like um, you know Dejon Dixon, like um, you know Abram Smith, who's already been been released. Um, you know, uh, Rashid Shahid. I think, you know, Dejon Dixon is probably the one that has, Dejon Dixon and Lewis Kidd are probably the two that have the, the most opportunity ahead of them to potentially make the, the initial 53 man roster, but it just depends upon numbers at their position. Lewis Kidd maybe is the closest one because, you know, he plays tackle, right? So you're looking for that offensive line depth and maybe you make the initial 53 because of that. Uh, but, you know, Nephi Sewell is somebody that really came onto the scene big time, right? They really exploded onto the scene the last week of camp. Usually those those guys don't make rosters right away. Um, you know, he, he got moved up into first-team reps, looked pretty good during the preseason games, but I think because of the injuries that are there at linebacker, you kind of have to lean on the veteran depth because it just seems likely that you're going to have to play some of those guys at some point during the season. So because of that, guys like Eric Wilson, John Bostick, Chase Hansen, Andrew Dowell, those guys kind of stick out a little bit more as kind of the more experienced players. And then, of course, you're going to see a lot of linebackers released over the next couple of days, as well as the former first-round pick, Jared Davis, who's on the market now. So, you know, you might see, you know, a newer name before you see um, Nephi Sewell, who I think has shown you a lot to like. And I think that he is a very good player, and I think he'll be a prime practice squad guy that will probably see some elevations this year. But I don't know that the numbers are going to work out in his favor. Ross Jackson, host of the Saints uh, Locked on Saints podcast, Daily podcast. Subscribe. Follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Is Ian Book going to make the roster, Ross? I it, it some of this comes down to the roster numbers more than it comes down to just his performance. Because I thought that he had an, a really he had the best performance of his career against the Chargers, and that was right on time. However, I don't know that he does make the roster because I don't know that the Saints keep three quarterbacks, especially when you have Taysom Hill right. already taking up a roster spot for you in you know at, at tight end right so you've already kind of got three quarterbacks on the roster without having to take up a third quarterback roster spot the saints were usually unusual in that way during the regular season carrying three quarterbacks throughout the regular season most teams will only carry two and so i, I could see ian book making it back to the practice squad there was reported trade interest on him before the season even began last year could that still be there this year, especially considering the Los Angeles Chargers game and the way that he played in that one? Uh, but I think more than likely he ends up on the Saints practice squad and he's an emergency quarterback for them from that perspective. But I don't know that he makes the that he makes the 53-man roster. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of leaning that way as well. Um, and he might have done enough to in that last game to kind of stick around on the practice squad, but perform very poorly you know in the first two games to where maybe the the market form outside of nola isn't strong and so you're not worried about or maybe not super worried about anyone claiming him off of waivers and if they do you know you wish him well but but to your point about Taysom hill i mean let's be honest even though 
he's unlikely to play quarterback in the traditional sense this year. He he's the third string quarterback. I mean, if it yeah. if, if it got down to Taysom Hill or Ian Book, and you need to win a game, I don't I don't think they're starting Ian Book on Sunday. I think if if something happened to Jameis and Dalton, I think Taysom's the guy that's getting his number called. Yeah, I think it would be you. Know, I think that kind of like years ago, what we saw to where the Saints were like you know in game if they needed to get down to that player, then maybe yeah, you would go to Ian Book. But week to week, right, if you had a week in between, then you, you get Taysom ready. And I think that that's, you know, kind of like what we saw when Drew got injured during that San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers. Yeah, they put Jay, they put Jameis Winston in because it was an in-game injury, and they didn't want to change Taysom Hill's role during the game. But then they went to Taysom Hill after that. So I think that that's exactly what you would see um, with these things. And, and look, it's tough. It's hard for any player to go out there and earn a job in the NFL, Right. But it's even harder when you have to not only convince a team to keep you, but you would have to convince the team to build an extra roster spot for you. And that's kind of where Ian Book is because you have the three quarterbacks on the roster already. So Ian Book is not only trying to convince the Saints, hey, keep me around on the roster. I deserve a job. He's also saying, oh, by the way, make that roster spot for me and commit effectively a fourth roster spot to a quarterback. That's hard to convince a team to do. And I, I, you know, any player, it's hard to convince a team to do that. Paulson Adebo, I know you don't have all the details yet, but you know, he's missed some time recently. Is there, is there a player that you're concerned? Okay. I don't think they're about to go on IR or pup, but they may not be ready week one. Yeah, you know the the positive evil one's a little bit concerning because he just just kind of I mean I know where the injury happened and things like that, but like it, he just kind of disappeared <laughs> and everything, and and then just didn't show up anymore. And so we're trying to figure out exactly like w- what the severity of that injury is because it, it it feels almost unceremonious in a way, right? Like usually you get you know you you pepper the questions and everything like that around you know what happened and all these other things, but like. It's just kind of been all quiet. So I, I don't know if that, that quietness is a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think that right now you're just trying to kind of understand maybe what the the process is through the new director of sports science, Matt Reyes' eyes. Is it a situation to where the Saints are being a little bit more kind of cautious around what players' you know recoveries look like and making sure that they're taking the time and that they're not rushing back? Or are there just more serious injuries? And I do think it's a little bit more the former, but it does you know, clearly take a little bit of getting used to, <laughs> for sure. So I don't know if there's anybody that I'm super concerned about that outside of Trevor Pinning right now in terms of being unavailable uh, for week one. But you know, uh, Paul Sinadivo, Michael Thomas, definitely two players to keep an eye on. But so far there's been no indication that the two won't be available to go week one, but certainly one that we'll continue to watch. All right, last question about the Saints for you, Ross. We appreciate you taking the time, as always. We talked special teams a few weeks ago, right? You know Will Lutz, you know JT Gray, you know Blake Gilligan, you know, you know, uh, you know, was Zach Wood. Like, there's there's certain spots you know, okay, that's their role, they're on the team. But they, they they were trying out some different guys at Gunner. They were trying out some different players. I know Kevin White got released, but, uh, they've been, you know, the emphasis that this franchise really started to put on special teams in 2017, the shift that that proved to be mm-hmm. a big difference maker. I think when you talk about, you know, the Saints of, of the, the below, you know, the non-winning teams of 14, 15, 16, 
You know, no one really remembers. They, they, Brandon Browner gets talked about a lot or an injured Jarris Bird. The special teams are pretty awful outside of Morstead. Mm-hmm. And in, since 2017, they've, they've gotten better each year. Last year being the exception, but it was the exception because Will Lutz got hurt. And then you had some other injuries opposite JT Gray. Uh, who, who in your mind has stood out there, aside from the obvious guys we talked about, that you think, all right, they've, they've, they've done a good job and they have a good chance to make this team and it's not going to be one of those celebrated, oh man, this, this receiver, this DB made the team, what? Because folks may not initially be realizing, oh, it's because of what they did on special teams. Yeah, I'll mention one guy that I think you know we've we've talked about in the past before as a special teamer, but it's kind of all been it's been a little bit quiet around him so far this season. But he's just kept his head down and done the same level of quality work. It's Andrew Dowell. Um, you know, there's effectively five of six linebacker spots I think uh, are claimed at this time. You have your three starters in terms of Demario Davis, Pete Warner, and Caden Ellis. Uh, that's going Mike weak side sure. and then strong side. And then, to me, it's the two veterans, Eric Wilson and John Bostic. But then, who takes the sixth spot? Is, there, is that a place where Nephi Sewell does sneak in? Is that a place where Chase Hansen sneaks in? Or is that a place where Andrew Dowell pops up? And if I'm asked to make a decision between those three guys, I'm going to go the Dennis Allen route. You know, I'm going to try to think like Dennis Allen here and say, the person that brings you, you know, that can do the most, you know, that can do more things on the roster or for the team, carries the most value. And for me, that's Andrew Dowell, who has continuously shown you that he's a fantastic special teamer. He's a core special teamer. And he's a different type of special teamer. He's not a gunner, right? He's one of the up men. He's kind of an H-back. He's one of those guys that's going to you know, be flying up the middle of the field, not the perimeter of the field. But then he's also going to be blocking for you on punt returns. I mean, he's just a tenacious player. And he's a pretty good linebacker, too. You know, like Let's not forget that he has a natural position to play as well. And so I look at that sort of multiplicity and sort of that versatility, and I think, okay, that's a player that should be able to you know, hang on, you know, that might hang on to a roster spot because of what he does in special teams. Another player that I don't think is necessarily fighting for a roster spot, but that you know, does have real potential at Gunner is rookie Alonzi Taylor. One of the reasons why they brought him in is because of his ability to potentially not only contribute, but impact the game on special teams. And I think his, you know, four, what was it? Four, 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 three speed, very fast player. I think that that speed obviously, you know, gives you a lot of opportunity downfield and you know, that, you know, and as a DB and as a very good tackling DB, He's built to be able to contribute on special teams, especially early on in his career. Now, his hope is that he grows into more than that and that he becomes, you know, a, you know, a player at the position in terms of on the defense at corner. But for right now, if he gets the opportunity as he's getting healthier to maybe step into that gunner role, I could see that for him at some point during 2022, even if it doesn't start there at the beginning of the season with him, him having missed some time here toward the end of camp. Ross Jackson has been our guest. An important day for the Saints and across the NFL, making roster cuts down to 53 players by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Waiver period uh, until 11 a.m. Players uh, practice squad, I think at 11.01 tomorrow, you can start signing. And uh, and then tomorrow afternoon, um, players can go on the IR designated to return. And so you'll see a 53-man today. But, Ross, you and I both know, um, <laughs> wait a couple of days. Wait a couple yeah. of days. It's, 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 it's going to be a big story. And then, I don't know, I, I feel like every year it, it, I, I get some calls week one or two, like, I thought that guy was cut, or I thought that guy didn't make the team, or I thought this happened. And it's like, yeah, he did, and then he didn't. So right. follow it today, but the story's not over yet. Um, and then you've got a long time 
before kickoff. I say a long time. I just I'm ready for kickoff, man. I you know I, I think it hit me last week. It was like Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, okay, all right. I've I've, I've watched Hard Knocks. You know, I've, I've been I've, I've been out to UL Rage Occasion. I, you know, fall camp's over. I saw some of that. Like. I, I week zero with respect in college football, it just didn't do it for me. The preseason, right. I, it's like a horror movie for me. I'm just waiting for something bad to happen. That's me psychologically. I know. Don't make fun of me. I just I want this thing to kick off, man. I'm ready for the season. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And and one more note on the roster changes too is that you're going to see you know a flurry of moves today. You see a flurry of moves over the next couple of days, and then you'll see another flurry of moves post week one after the week one game because. Um, uh, contracts aren't guaranteed mm-hmm. after week one. So any contracts that you sign after that point for the teams, they that's not guaranteed pay. So if you're seeing big names floating around the market that aren't playing week one, like if an Indomitian Sioux still doesn't sign by that time or, or something like that, after week one makes a lot of sense for some of these guys to sign these contracts, at least on the team side, because all those contract numbers are non-guaranteed, and so the teams aren't necessarily on the hook for them beyond the game checks. So that's yet another example of, you know, getting one or two weeks in, things will continue to change. Ross Jackson has been our guest. If you're not following him, do it now at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Um, Subscribe to his podcast on the Locked On Network, Locked On Saints, and uh, check out all of the things he has going on. He's a writer. He's an insider and uh, formerly a Broadway stage manager. I'm glad I got it right, Ross I appreciate you taking the time, as always, my friend. And I look forward to talking to you maybe sometime next month after there's a few uh, regular season games under our belt. Yeah, yeah, let's get some football action in, and then uh, more than happy to, to speak with you anytime, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks so much, as always, for having me on. Take care and stay safe, man. You got it. That is Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints Network. Great Scott Show continues after this. CSP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Who is auditioning this year in college football? I'll explain. We're counting down the days till Raging Cajun football. I'm Jay Walker. Join Gerald Broussard, Cody Juno, and me from Cajun Field on Saturday, September 3rd. As Louisiana takes on Southeastern, kickoff time is 6.30 on your home of the Raging Cajuns. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hot.